And God, we, uh, we come before you now, uh, having just sung this song about your promises. And I, for one, am so grateful in my life uh, that your promises have been sure and that even when uh, everything seems to be crumbling around me, uh, uh, you remain my rock and my shield and my tower. And uh, I can run to you. I can trust you. I can lean into you when I don't have understanding. Uh, I can acknowledge you and you'll make my path straight. I, I thank you for the times that that's been true in my life. I thank you for the times that that's been true for my friends and their life. Uh, we claim that promise today, God, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That you're always going to be more than enough. Uh, you can, you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything we can ask or think. Nothing is impossible with you. And so we, we rest in those truths. Uh, we stand on those promises. We, uh, we stand in this place because you're worthy of our praise, God. And uh, we want to honor you now with these offerings that we give. Everything we have comes from you. So whatever we give back to you is just a return on your investment in us. Use these gifts, God, for your glory. Uh, make much of yourself through us here and around the world. So we open your word now. Uh, we want to hear from you, God. We, we don't need to hear from me. I got nothing to say. So push me aside, Holy Spirit. Speak in my place. Uh, challenge us with your truth. Uh, teach us what it is to surrender to you, uh, to follow you in the good times and the bad, uh, to love you always in the ways that you love us without fail. Uh, uh, help us leave here encouraged, challenged and changed by what we read from your word. Thanks for this time to worship you, God. May it continue as we hear from you uh, in the scriptures you've given us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Three goods. Great, one great. Awesome. Now we're getting better. Okay. Text me, whatever else you got. Anyway, uh, Great to see you if you're a visitor. Hi, my name's Mark. Welcome to this church. I love this church. I'm so grateful to be your pastor. And, uh, uh, oh, I'm glad you, four of you like it too. Um, missed you guys last week and uh, tell you a little bit more about that. We're starting a new series. Anybody look at their bulletin today and uh, say, it's not Palm Sunday. That's a misprint. Some of you didn't even look. Did you, anybody look at their bulletin? It says Palm Sunday on there, trust me. Uh, but it's uh, it's in... In light of this new series that we're starting, does anybody know what happened this past Wednesday? Anybody got a Catholic friend? It was Ash Wednesday, yeah. And it, uh, uh, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of a period uh, in the Catholic Church and lots of mainline Protestant denominations called Lent or Lenten. Uh, Lent is uh, actually an Anglo-Saxon word from the fourth century that means spring. Google it. It's true. Um, and it's this uh, name that's been given to this 40-day period, not counting Sundays, that leads up to Easter. And uh, it's a, a time where... Uh, uh, it's actually uh, lined up with the, with the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry years. And so when Jesus went out there, he fasted and prayed. And it's, it's this time that uh, uh, the church historically has fasted from things and, and, and committed to prayer, other things. And so uh, we don't necessarily celebrate that. We, we want to do those things all the time, not just for 40 days a year. Uh, but uh, if that's what you're doing, great. Uh, but uh, as, as part of this whole lead up to Easter, we wanted to take the week that is called the Holy Week. It starts on Palm Sunday, and uh, it ends in the uh, Easter Sunday. And we wanted to spend a, a, a sermon each week on one of the days of that week. So today we're starting with Palm Sunday. Next week will be Monday, Tuesday. You'll see it on the bulletin. Just follow along. And I'm just going to preach you the, the story of Jesus in that last week uh, of his uh, life uh, before his death and resurrection. Uh, well, most of the Gospels spend a majority of their time on that one week of Jesus' life. Like the book of John is 20-some is, is chapters long, but it's, it shifts in chapter 12. And, and so half of it is on seven days, roughly, uh, in Jesus' life. So uh, we're going to just kind of bounce around the stories that are in the Holy Week, and we're going to start today with Palm Sunday. Before I get going, though, I just want to remind you, we've got one more a uh, week now before we all come out, trudge, run, walk, crawl, whatever you're going to do uh, in the 5K uh, for our uh, uh, global ministries this coming summer. It's a great way to support what's going on in ministry with our students and even our adults uh, uh, through this one uh, fundraising opportunity. Uh, I'm going to run, and so if your excuse is that you can't run, 
look here, and then get out there with me. Um, some of you might want to pay not to run. I'll, I'll, we'll totally take your money if you want to say, listen, I'll pay, but I don't want to run. Is that okay? Totally. Pay, pay not to run. It's totally fine. Uh, but uh, we'd love to see a, a huge outpouring of God's grace in this so that we can send our, our, our people around the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, today we're going to talk about Palm Sunday. Before I do that, let me tell you what happened last weekend. I was glad Shane got up here and preached at you a little bit. Grateful to have a great staff of teachers uh, what we can call on when I'm not here. And uh, so, uh, but I was, I was gone last uh, weekend to Dallas, Texas. It's where I came from before I got here. I served at a church called Bent Tree Bible Fellowships there for uh, almost uh, nine and a half years uh, before coming here. And, and they've started this new uh, forum. What do they call it, owner? It's like a, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a group of pastors who have come from that church and gone to other churches, and they're kind of getting us together to compare notes, encourage each other. Uh, we actually got together as couples. Eleanor got to go with me, and uh, it was just a great three days. While we were there, though, uh, we got to drive around our old hometown. Who's, who's not from Brandon? Anybody not from Brandon? You grew up somewhere else? Anybody ever gone home and just drove around to all the old places that you used to go? There's my high school. There's where, you know, uh, if it was later in life, there's where our kids were born. That's the hospital. We did that one. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's our old house. Anybody ever, like... Uh, uh, stalked your old house. Just be honest. Anybody ever, anybody ever ever looked to see if someone wasn't there? Maybe gone up and looked in the windows. That's illegal. Don't do that. That's illegal. <clears throat> we didn't. Just so you know. But I've wanted to, because you always want to see what they do to our house. Uh, we sold it to someone else. What's what's going on in there now? Uh, we we drove by the places that were our places uh, when we lived in Dallas, Dallas and fondly remembered many of them. But then we drove by some spots. Uh, anybody have some of these in your old hometown? that were the low lights, you know what I'm talking about? The places where you're like, oh, you remember what happened there? Whew, I was trying to forget. Um, drove by, uh, and, and actually when we looked at one of our, our, our first houses in Texas, uh, Eleanor and I were talking about bringing our babies home to that house, and it was one of our favorite houses, but I remembered uh, that uh, in this house, we, we went through our seven-year itch in marriage. Anybody ever have their seven-year itch? By that I mean, um, we, we were pretty happy the first six years, and then that seventh year came, and, and finally, uh, we weren't as happy as we were before. And uh, it was a, during a period of our marriage where I was going to seminary, working full-time. Uh, she picked up a, an extra job so that uh, we could have diaper money because we had three kids under three, uh, which is not, I don't recommend that at all, just so you know. <laughs> they don't sleep. They're, they're not helpful at all. And, uh, <clears throat> but we were, we were kind of in that period of life, and I remember one day coming home, and, uh, and hitting the door, and, and Eleanor and I had one of those talks in marriage, a talk that starts with, like, I almost drove away today, uh, a talk that uh, if it needs to happen in your relationship with your spouse, have it. It's really important to talk through hard things and start uh, seeking God's help for, for, the, for the stuff in life that just kind of creeps in and chokes out the good. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Eleanor and I, by God's grace, have been married 25 years now. I pray I get 25 more plus. Um, yeah, no, you can clap for that. It's a good thing. Uh, but she'd tell you, I'd tell you, that there were, there's been hard times. There's been hard times. We celebrate the good, but we learn more, probably, from the hard, right? Uh, I've always been fascinated by the fact that Jesus... Uh, in the scriptures is called the bridegroom and that his followers are called the bride. Like it's interesting to me that God would take marriage and set it up as kind of this illustration of how we function in our relationship with Christ uh, as we seek to, to know and follow after God. And, and it's in this marriage context uh, that we've been called as Christians. And like any marriage, uh, there's good days in our relationships with Jesus and there are hard days. Dark nights of the soul, I think one author called them. Uh, where you have doubts and questions, where you're, you're frustrated, where your circumstances just weigh in on you so much, you just don't know if you really want to go on. Unfortunately, uh, lots of people who call in the name of Jesus uh, end up kind of being like uh, in the parable of the sower, one of those plants that shoots up real fast and things are going great and everything feels awesome because the sun's shining and the water's flowing, uh, but when, when the sun goes away and the water ceases to flow and things start to kind of choke, they, they choke too. And, and they don't persist in following Jesus. Sometimes it's our kids. They go off to college and, you know, figure out that they got all the answers there and you were stupid, right? 
your mom or dad. And, uh, and they're going to try it on their own. I did that. Uh, my son's doing that. There's, there's stuff like that that happens. And then this one week that we're going to talk about for the next seven weeks, uh, we even have that just in seven days. I mean, what we're going to talk about today was like the apex, the, the all-time spike in the popularity and the celebration of Jesus. He, he triumphantly enters the capital of his nation during their highest uh, tourist week of the year. I mean, everybody's there, and Jesus is on display, and things are going great. But in four short days, many of the people who laud his arrival will stand in a courtyard outside of a guy named Pilate's house, and they'll call for his crucifixion. And just like that, what was this unbelievable high becomes this unbearable low. What do we do in life when these inevitable uh, troughs occur? Uh, what do we do with the highs that God blesses us with? That's what I want to talk to you about today as we discuss the triumphal entry of Jesus uh, the Sunday before he dies for all mankind. Can we just read the story? It's in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Uh, it's, it's in all four of the Gospels, but I'm choosing to go through Mark in this series uh, as kind of our template. Here's one of the things that we need to understand about Palm Sunday and understand about life with Jesus. We have great days. Palm Sunday... Uh, was a great day for Jesus and his followers. Probably one of the best in the three and a half years that he spent uh, with those who were with him in his ministry years. It tells us that on this day, Mark chapter 11, verse 1, uh, that they drew near to Jerusalem. Jesus had basically been kind of meandering throughout all of Israel. He went up north to Galilee and then down through Perea and the, the, uh, the Decapolis, which is the tents. Anyway, you can read the Bible. It's all in there. But he kind of he just traverses through Israel. He's actually missed the Passover uh, in every year previous to this, during his ministry years, he's never been in Jerusalem, uh, probably by design, because uh, what happened on this Passover, his crucifixion, might have uh, happened if he had been in Israel or in Jerusalem even before these uh, times. So uh, he had waited until this, this third Passover, fourth Passover, really, of his, of his ministry career uh, for him to actually come to Jerusalem. He's there. He's coming in from the west. If you can picture uh, Jerusalem, it's a, it's, a, it's a hilly area. There's seven mounts in Jerusalem. And uh, he's on the Mount of Olives, uh, which empties into a valley that then goes up to the, to the city mount, to the, to the temple mount, which is where uh, he was going to be headed into the gates of Jerusalem. He's there uh, at, at Bethpage and Bethany, and uh, he sends out two of his disciples He's going he's gonna to do something he doesn't normally do. This is very premeditated. I like to see uh, that, you know, Jesus is kind of like me. He just kind of goes with the flow most of the time. But then all of you type A's, this is Jesus being type A here. He gets very intentional. We're going to see that in a second. He goes on, he says, uh, he says to them, go into the vigil, vi village in front of you, and immediately as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. And then he says, steal it. Because that's what that is there. Untie it. He doesn't say go to the owner. He just says take it. Untie it and bring it to me. <laughs> very intentional. In fact, look at that. On this great day, Jesus is very intentional. Go to the next slide there. Yeah, yeah I just said that. It's right there. Um, he's very intentional on purpose, though, because there are certain things uh, that have lined up his whole life with the prophecies of the Old Testament, his birth especially, but then other things too that he has done that are right in step with what the prophets of hundreds of years previous in Israel had said about the Messiah who, when he would come. And he knows Zechariah chapter 9. And in Zechariah chapter 9, some 500 years before Jesus enters the city, this is what Zechariah said about the coming Messiah. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Everybody make a fuss. It's about to happen. He says, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a what? A donkey, on a colt, on the foal or the young youngling of a donkey. Uh, in, in the history of, of Jesus' time, if you were a, a returning uh, victorious general or the, the Caesar of Rome, you would ride a what? An Escalade, you're right, a Cadillac. No, yeah. <laughs> A white horse, high ho silver, Lone Ranger, anybody old enough? Anyway, 
You'd get a white horse, and you would ride in a town resplendent on a white horse. Jesus is going to ride a white horse. Read Revelation. When he comes again, it's on a white horse, and it's, it's, it's a sight. But that's another sermon. Uh, on this one, though, he comes, and as, as is his tone through his entire ministry life, he comes humbly. He comes on the back of a farm animal, the back of a tractor. He's on a donkey, and not even a donkey that's been, um, you know, tested. Uh, probably a donkey that's never been ridden. Uh, a, a brand new donkey. And this, just so you know, this, you're getting the bonus track here. Uh, guess what they used in the temple when they sacrificed animals? Did they use the ones that had been used in the farm for years and years and years? No, they used the, the firstborn, the newborn, the unused. And Jesus, who is going to be the sacrifice for all mankind, rides into town on an unused animal. Don't miss the symbolism there, right? But he says to his buddies, go get this guy. We've got to do the Zechariah verse. <laughs> and so that's what they do. Look what it says. Mark 11, verse 3 says, if anyone says, this is what Jesus says to them. If anyone asks you or says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord. The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. Everybody, you know, walk over to your neighbor's house uh, this morning, or after your home, and get in their car and flip down the, you know, that has the keys, and just start taking it. And when they come out and ask you why they're stealing your car, say, well, the Lord told me to take your car. <laughs> Eleanor told her. Eleanor told her our uh, our neighbors that could borrow our kayaks while we were gone last weekend, and she was telling me this yesterday. They actually came over to our yard to get the kayaks. We live on Lake Gordonto, and they were going to uh, take a kayak ride with a bunch of family or friends who were visiting them or whatever. Uh, so they came over to get them, but we hadn't told our kids that we had given the okay for these neighbors that they don't know, right, to come in under our yard and take our kayaks. And apparently, Kai, Kai, I'm so proud of my 19 year old daughter. She went out there. Loaded for bear. She was like, what are you doing? And I was going to, you know, yelling at these people. And they calmed her down and said, we told your parents and you can call them. And she was like, okay. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what we're going to see happen. They, they went, verse 4, they went away and, and they found this colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they, they untied it. They stole it. And, uh, and some of these uh, standing there. I, I, I'm picturing either the neighbors of the people who own the donkey or the, the owners of the donkey themselves are like, what are you doing Untying the colt. I think that's a very gentle way of saying what they said. Uh, I think there was probably a dude or a hey you or stop thief, something like that. Uh, but uh, look what happens next, verse 6. And they, they, they told him, well, Jesus told us to go get it. Uh, the Lord needs it. And they're like, wow, cool, totally. In fact, can you have him sign it? Because that'll be you know, worth something eventually. Uh, that'll be really great. Uh, I'm not going to preach a, a lot of these verses. I'm trust, just trying to get us familiar with the story. But, but it, it's suffice it to say that, that Jesus wants to be intentional with us too. Does everybody understand that about Jesus? Like, like you picture yourself as those two disciples, and you're just kind of getting ready to walk into Jerusalem, and Jesus says, oh, hey, by the way, you two. I need you two to go get a donkey. And you're like, get a donkey? What? What are you talking about? You want me to steal a donkey? Really? Uh, it, it's, sometimes Jesus can act like that. He doesn't tell us to steal things. Everybody calm down on that. But, uh, but he will tell us to do things that we're like, you want me to do what? You want me to stop and talk to a homeless person now? You, you want me to go across the office cubicles and talk to the person that I don't like about you? Like right now. You want us to ask that couple from Life Group that we'd rather not be in Life Group uh, in or with uh, to come over for dinner? Why would you be prompting these? This has got to be something I ate. This cannot be you, Jesus. This is certainly not from you. Uh, and, and, and we get really used as Christians. Your pastor's guilty of this. We get really used as Christians as just blowing Jesus off when he prompts us to do things. But understand this. If Jesus is in us and we are in him and his will is meant to be lived out through us, then he's going to speak to us and guide us into things that will honor him and bless other people. And we as Christians... We're not slaves to our schedule. We're not slaves to the stuff of this world. We should be responders, first responders, to the things that Jesus has for us so that his will can be done. Are you with me? If you don't learn anything else this morning, I pray that you learn this week to be more sensitive to the guidance and leading of your Savior and to be available to him in ways that make you go, really? Just go. Because you'll never know what that's going to do in the lives of other people. Matter of fact, some of you are sitting here today because someone under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under the leading of Jesus in their life, came up to you and talked to you about Jesus, and now you're one of us, right? I remember the story. Uh, we used to keep a journal of, of answered prayers, and, 
And uh, we'd ask God for things, and then we'd see him uh, show up in those things, and we'd record it so that on days where things were dark, we could remember that Jesus came through in lots of ways. And one of those ways was early in our marriage in Dallas, uh, kind of around this time where the seven-year itch was going on, I was doing a lot of stupid, selfish things as a husband that were adversely affecting my wife. Uh, one of the things that I would do sometimes is I would leave in this you know, dark ages period where there wasn't like multiple ways to access your bank money, you know, uh, I would take the, the checkbook, remember those things? You, you would write in them. I would take the checkbook and the only debit card we had, and I would leave town on a retreat. I did this one weekend. On, on the Friday that we were supposed to go get groceries, and I left Eleanor with no cash, no checkbook, and no means of which to get money out uh, to be, be able to secure, uh, you know, our goods. So, so she and the kids just dug into the recesses of our, of our uh, pantry, you know, got the can of tuna that's been there way too long, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, or something like that, eat crackers and, and those kinds of things, and just kind of uh, lived off of what was in our pantry until there wasn't anything left in our pantry, and got to church the Sunday morning uh, that I was supposed to be home that evening. And, uh, and, and Eleanor wasn't sure what to do for lunch. And she was packing our kids in the van. And, and, uh, and, and she uh, heard the voice of one of her friends, Dave, uh, who said, listen, I don't know why I'm doing this. But I was about to get in my car. And I found eight bucks in the pocket of my jeans. And God told me that I was supposed to give this to you. I have no idea why you need eight dollars. But here you go. And... Uh, Eleanor knew exactly uh, when she heard the amount what the $8 was for. Whenever she took our kids through the drive-thru at Wendy's, which was their favorite, they would get the five-piece uh, chicken nuggets and the fries and the Coke that everybody would share, and the price of that lunch was $8, right? That's in our book of remembering the provision of God. And that never happens and never becomes a story that I tell in a sermon 20 years later. Unless my buddy Dave hears the promptings of Jesus in response. So this week, everybody go out there and turn up the volume on your Jesus ears. Be ready to hear some of the things that he wants to do in you, in you and through you to make a difference in the world. Now the story goes on. Uh, on this great day, Jesus wasn't just intentional, but he was celebrated. This was a mad fuss. This was crazy party, okay? Uh, it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 7, that they brought the colt in uh, to Jesus, and, and they threw their cloaks on it, kind of a makeshift saddle, uh, and so he could sit on it, and there he, did, he was. He sat on the back of this young donkey, and they started walking down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And uh, many spread, it says in verse 8, many spread their cloaks on the road. This was taken from the, the Old Testament. A guy named King Jehu in 2 Kings uh, chapter 9 was coronated king of Israel. And, and like every tradition, this is where this tr tradition began. If the king was coming into town, people would show their allegiance to the king by taking their coat. And by the way, they had one coat. Most of Israel had one set of clothes. And they would wear them every day until they wore out, and then they'd get another set of clothes. You and I go to closets full of them. They had one coat. And it was their sign of, of complete submission to their king. You have, you have me because you have my one coat, right? They'd put it on the ground so that uh, the king could walk over it. They took, uh, it says here, leafy branches. And they spread those out, uh, these leafy branches that were cut from the fields. And in John, it tells us that they waved them as they celebrated Jesus as he walked into town. And in uh, John, it says that they're palm branches. This is very significant. Don't just think that, like, you know, we should be waving something, and, and the closest thing were these palm trees, and so they just haphazardly grabbed a bunch of palm branches. No, 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 no. This was very specific. The palm branch was kind of like the American eagle. It was a symbol of Israel's nationality. Israel, which was this occupied nation, Rome had taken it over. Uh, anytime that they would uh, throw out the palm branch, it would be a reminder, hey, we're Israel. And as they waved these palm branches at this carpenter from Nazareth, they were saying, he's the savior of Israel. He's the Messiah. He's our king. It came out in the things that they said. It says, uh, verse 9, those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a very well-known phrase of rejoicing and invitation. He says, uh, they would say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, a direct reference uh, to the kingly uh, 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 properties of Jesus. And then the, finally, it said, Hosanna in the highest. I, I read this this week uh, in some of the books that I have, the, the commentaries, and I read that this was probably a chant. It, it says in other uh, parts that the front would start with uh, Hosanna, 
And then the back would say, blessed is the coming of the kingdom of David. Uh, it was kind of like being at one of these uh, protests where, what do we want? Uh, and what do we, when do we want it? Now, right? And, and it was just kind of that back and forth, whatever the, you know, the chant was, this is what was going on. What a sight. I mean, think about it. Bob the carpenter from Sefner, right? Rises to prominence. If you're here, Bob, it's great to see you. But, but he rises to prominence. He gets all these followers. And now an entire nation, hundreds, if not thousands of people, are lining the main road into Jerusalem and going completely mad over just the mere entry of Jesus into the city at the beginning of Passover. What made them do this? Well, he'd done some pretty cool stuff. Just recently, he had raised his friend Lazarus from the grave. Remember that story? He goes and his buddy Lazarus has been dead for too long. And he just says, Lazarus, get up. And he gets up and he walks. I mean, people were freaking out. This guy had walked on water. He fed 5,000 people with Lunchables. I mean, he'd, he'd just gone, he'd done things that nobody ever thought could be done. And many of these people who were following Jesus were eyewitnesses to these things. They're like, bro, I was there. I saw it happen. This is the dude. He's the guy that we've been waiting for. We stand on this side of history knowing that uh, Jesus died and rose himself from the grave. We stand on this side of 2,000 years of the church growing and people understanding the gospel and following him. And, and we stand or sit, I guess you're sitting, we sit in this room and for some of us, it's still hard for us to get fired up about Jesus. Can I, can I shake that tree for a second? Because if you don't learn anything else from Palm Sunday, remember this. Jesus wants us to celebrate him too. Like every day you wake up, you should wake up just a little bit surprised that Jesus would have anything to do with you. And a little bit in awe that the God of the universe would love you and me enough to give of himself, of his son, so that you and I could have anything to do with him. And when you come to church, it shouldn't be this way. You haven't had your coffee, I get it. But you kind of just slide in here and you, you tolerate the music until it's done and you start looking at your clock at 5 till 12 because, you know, you've got to get to Salem's. they got good wings or whatever it is. Is it Salem's? Salim's? Whatever. I used to say Piccadilly, but then it closed. But you're just kind of, you know, you're just kind of here. Some of you, you're, you're thinking that right now. Okay, I'm, I'm. And you call yourself a Christian. And, and being a Christian is like some kind of onus to, to bear. It's this, it's this weight that requires of you your Sunday mornings. You have to wake up instead of sleep in. Oh, that the church would get over itself and remember that we are miraculously and graciously brought into the presence of the living God for eternity by the sacrifice of his son Jesus. If there is anything in life to get fussed out over, it's him. That's why I'm standing up here and I'm telling you when you worship, sing, brothers. Talking to you fellas, bust it out. Because you might be waiting for Toby Keith to come in town, but Toby don't hold a candle to Jesus. You sing Jesus' songs. Matter of fact, listen, I'm setting up a new deal. Every Sunday is Palm Sunday. You don't got to come in here and throw your coats out. Please leave our palm branches alone. Don't be cutting them down and coming in here. But I want you to make the same kind of fuss about your Jesus every Sunday that we're together because he is worthy of our praise. My little sister came in town this past week while we were gone. We timed it perfect. I'm just kidding. I love my little sister and her husband, Joe. And we were really sad that they were going to be coming in town and, and we were going to be going out of town at the same time. They were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. They got married a month after Eleanor and I did. And uh, so they called and they said, listen, we got this great deal because it's not quite spring break and we're going to be down on St. Pete Beach, but if we could stay at your house for like the first three days, that would save us a lot of money. Is that okay even if you're not there? Absolutely, it's okay. We don't want to be a bother, you know. It, it'll be no trouble. Don't make a fuss. We love you guys. And we want to do everything we can to make your stay with us as great as it could. Our, our room when we left was the cleanest our room has ever been. <laughs> I shampooed the carpets the morning of their arrival and before I got on a plane to fly to Dallas. 
Why? Because our love for them matches our fuss for them. They called uh, later in the week and asked if they could have dinner with us. I, listen, we're over here on the beach, and we know it's the week, you know, it's during the week, and you guys are both working, and that's true. Ellen and I are, are busy in our jobs, and, and you know, many nights we're, we're you know, off doing other things with our jobs. But they said, you know, if we can just work it out that you can come out Wednesday night, we'll just have dinner together. And, and my sister's just kind of self-effacing. She's like, I just don't want to be a bother. It's no big deal if you can't. And I'm like, are you kidding? You're an hour away. I never see you. We love you. We'll make it to dinner. We'll sacrifice. We'll, we'll miss out on whatever else was going to happen that night and whatever else needed to be ended early that afternoon so that we can get to you. Why? Because we love you and you're worth the fuss. Think of that every time you wake up to come to church. Think of that every time you get ready to go serve Jesus with our kids or our students or in your life groups. Think about that. Think about, oh man, it's going to cost me. Oh man, it's going to be you know, a sacrifice. I'm going to have to surrender some of these things I would rather be doing. But then remember, Jesus is worth the fuss. If you say you love him, then he is worth the fuss. The account here in Mark ends uh, with us understanding that uh, uh, Jesus was looking forward to the next day, and I'll kind of just give you a, a brief peek into next week. Uh, it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, and I'd missed this the whole time I'd read this part of, of, of the story in Mark's gospel. It says he entered Jerusalem, Jesus did, and he went into the temple. I, I, I didn't realize that Jesus, on his triumphal entry, didn't just kind of, you know, wave to the crowd and walk around town. He actually went straight to the temple, went in there, but Mark tells us, uh, he didn't stay long. He just looked around at, at everything, got, got the uh, lay of the land. And because it was already late, uh, maybe the temple was closing, I don't know, uh, they couldn't stay long. And so he just busted back out to Bethany and uh, got ready for the next day. The next day, just so you know, come next week, we'll talk about it, Jesus and justice. Uh, it's kind of where we're going to be heading. But the next day, he comes into the temple and he trashes the joint. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Because here's this, you know, sacrificial land, this meek, you know, tender Jesus uh, who is soft and, and, and gracious, and everybody pictures him in the bathrobe with the, with the beauty queen sash and all that stuff. Well, he goes all Rambo up in the temple uh, on Monday, and uh, the, it was totally premeditated. He saw Sunday night what was going on in his father's house, and he says, oh, we're coming back here. <laughs> Come next week, we'll talk about that. What a What a scene. What a scene here on this day. Quite a start to the week. People waving plants and throwing coats. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And you got to know his disciples are just like, yes! All these months of walking around, all these months of, of, of listening and learning and, and being sent out two by two, all these, I mean, it's payday. We're finally coming to Jerusalem. He's finally going to set up his kingdom. We're finally going to be in the cabinet of this great leader. Lots of people were there, uh, and they were latecomers. They, were, they, were, uh, they weren't there from the beginning, but they'd, they'd heard the story. Some of them may have seen the miracles, and they were just frothing at the mouth excited for the Messiah to be here, understandably so. But they didn't realize, like I said earlier, that four days later, everything was going to bottom out. And, and you got to know, we'll talk about this through the whole series, but you got to know that some of the people who waved the palm fronds and threw their coats on Sunday were some of the people who stood outside Pilate's house on Thursday and yelled, crucify him. Uh, we call those people in our modern vernacular, vernacular fair-weather fans. And this is a, a problem uh, in church throughout its 2,000 years of history. There's, there's lots of Christians who are like, I'm in as long as the going's good. I'll be there for the party, but don't make me sit through the funeral. Yeah, uh, just so we're clear, let me hit this again. That's why we make a big fuss about it around here. We say in our mission that we exist to surrender to God. We exist to submit ourselves to God in the good things and through the bad. And that if, if you haven't understood that about uh, your relationship with Christ, uh, you're going to tap out of this covenant, this, this marriage between the bridegroom and his bride. Uh, you're going to leave because you're only here for the better and not the worse. You're going to leave because you're only here for the richer and for, not for the poor. Uh, that's not how it's supposed to go. We're supposed to persist. In fact, 
uh, as we go through the crucible of, of pain and suffering and, and, and the circumstances of life, it's, it's there that, that a lot of the me stuff that is plaguing us gets burned off. And we become um, more dedicated, more vibrant in our relationships with Jesus Christ. Jesus was constantly trying to tell these guys this. I mean, after every miracle, he would, you know, he would tell the people who had received the miracles, you know, don't tell anybody. Don't fuss out. Don't, don't blow this out of proportion. He was constantly telling his, his disciples, hey, listen, I'm going to die. The Son of Man has come to die as a ransom for many. Peter, uh, one of his most faithful followers, would constantly uh, come against these words. In fact, one time he told Jesus, over my dead body, and Jesus, Jesus said, in, in essence, hey, Get behind me, Satan. Remember he said that to Peter. He called Peter Satan. But it, he did that and was strong in his communication because he, wanted, he didn't want anybody following him to be a Fairweather fan. You got to know, like Paul says later, that for us to be with Jesus is to be crucified with Christ and for us to no longer live, but for Christ to live in us and through us. So that's where Jesus goes. In John chapter 12, if you want to flip over there, right after the story of the triumphal entry, we see an, uh, an interaction between Jesus and some Greeks. And it's in this discourse uh, that, that we see Jesus uh, making things very clear. Uh, in, in some uh, of, of the harmonies of the gospel, a harmony of the gospel is basically taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just lining up the passages that are parallel time-wise with, with each of the Gospels. It's a great, if you want to study it, go Google Harmony of the Gospels and just read through the, the last seven days of Jesus' life. Uh, and, and you'll see where Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John say all the things that they say. The, the, the writers of the Harmonies or the organizers of the Harmonies of the Gospels say that this next bit that I'm going to teach you probably happened Monday. I think it happened Sunday night because of all the fuss and muss of the Greeks, you know, seeing the parade that uh, they wanted to talk to the guy that everybody was celebrating. And so uh, I think after the parade, Jesus has this sobering conversation with his friends. He says, now among those who went up, uh, John chapter 12, verse 20, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, like literal Greek, uh, uh, you know, um, people. Not, this isn't like code for Gentiles. These were Greeks. Greeks were philosophical. They were uh, searchers and, and seekers of truth. And so uh, they would travel around to all the other religions and try to figure them out. This was apparently uh, who was in town for the Passover. And they saw Jesus and they're like, wow, I've got to find out more about this guy. And so they went to the disciples and asked if they could have a, a visit. Uh, it says they came to Philip, uh, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, who was from the north of Jerusalem, where probably there were more Greek settlements. Philip was actually a Greek name, so the Greeks probably thought maybe we got an inn. You know, maybe Philip's uh, part Greek or something like that. And uh, so they come to Philip and they said, hey, you think we can get, you know, some time with, the, with this Jesus? Uh, we, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip uh, tells us that he, he went and told Andrew. I don't know if Andrew was like the social calendar holder. I don't know uh, if he was the admin for Jesus, whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, he and uh, Philip eventually went to Jesus and said, hey, these, these, Greek wants, these Greeks want to talk to you. Do you want to talk to them? And Jesus does what he almost always does when he's asked a question. He never answers it. Has <laughs> anybody ever noticed that about Jesus? Like Jesus will get answered or ask questions all the time in the scriptures and then he just talks about what he wants to talk about. So that's what happens next. Let's read it. Ready? Jesus answered them, Andrew, Philip, everybody else who's hanging out. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Didn't we ask him about the Greeks? All right. What did he say? He said the hour has come. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The hour has come. That's different. Because up until now, every time Jesus has been asked about when the kingdom was going to come, he'd say, not yet. Like the first time he does the miracles at this wedding in, the Can in Cana of Galilee, and his, his mom comes up and says, we're out of wine. The boxes are empty. We need more. And remember what Jesus says to his mom? Jesus says to his mom, mom, it's not time. It's not time for me to be doing this stuff. But he does it anyway because he loves his mom. It's his first miracle. He turns water into wine. And off he goes. And for the next three, three and a half years, every time people come to him and say, is the kingdom coming? Is the kingdom coming? Is the kingdom here? Not yet. Not yet. But here comes Jesus. Asked to be seen by some Greeks. He chooses this as his moment to say, hey, the hour is now. 
And you got to know his disciples were like, jackpot. Yes. That's what I've been waiting for. Man, my book deals are going to be rolling in. Because I was there at the beginning when the Messiah came to earth. I was one of the 12. I'm going to figure out where my chair is going to be next to him. That conversation comes later in the week. But this is what they hear. They hear, "Mm, kingdom come. But then Jesus, as he's done his whole (laughs) three years with him, brings him back to death. Ready? Here it comes. Jesus says, truly, truly. Whenever you see truly, truly in the Bible, it's like Jesus grabbing you by the cheeks like your mom used to do and said, saying, hey, listen. Pay attention. This is important. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, and say it with me, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's he's not trying to be parabolic here and confusing. He's just one for one saying, I am the grain of wheat. And unless I die... I remain alone. If I choose not to die, I'll go back to my father with none of you. But if I go into the ground, if I die, then out of my death can come this bounty, this fruit, where you can have life through me. It's the gospel. Sin requires death. Jesus died so that we don't have to, and in our faith in him, we can have life. And he says, but guys, that's, that's what this whole thing's been about. It's about me coming to die. And just so you know, it's about you dying with me. That's what he says next. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. Again, not trying to be tricky. He's just saying, hey, listen, if, he's, not, he's not calling for mass suicide or anything like that. But he's saying spiritually, unless you give up all of your claims, all of your all of your rights and entitlements, unless you put yourself and your worship of yourself to death, then you won't experience the life that I came to die to give. It's just how it works. He goes on, he says in verse 29, anyone who serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. I used to think this meant that Jesus was telling the promise of eternity here, but that's not what the verb tense holds. Everybody see the verb tense? What is it? It's present tense. And he's speaking about this week, He says, if anyone's going to serve me, he must follow me. Where's he going in four days? To the cross. You're going to serve me? Pick up your cross. Let's go. He says, where I am, there will my servant be also. Not where I'm going to be, not where I am preparing a place for you, which we know from other parts of Scripture is where we're going to end up. That's our future if we are in Christ, right? But he's saying here in this context where I am, where am I right now? I'm in the, on the back end of a great parade, but where am, where am I going to be this week? Cross. Where I am, my true servants are going to be there with me. And they're going to be putting to death the stuff that would keep them from life with me. If anyone serves me, here's the great guarantee, the Father will honor him. Now he's talking about the future. Just so you know, my Father's not going to abandon you in your quest for spiritual death. He's going to be in the midst of it with you as you struggle to rid yourself of yourself. And he'll honor you ultimately. Anybody here grateful that our future is secure? That our funerals aren't that big a deal? I mean, it's hard for everybody who's left behind. But for those of us who are done, off to heaven we go. Let's go! But in between, until that day, it's just waking up every day and choosing to die. Here's a quick question for you. What must we as Christ followers die to in order to live? Think about your life. Maybe turn to someone next to you. Let's do this for 30 seconds. Talk about the things either in your life specifically or in life generally that you know you're supposed to die to. Maybe the things that you have died to or things that you need to die to. What are the things that you need to die to? Just talk to each other about that in the Christ life. What needs to die in us so that we can follow Jesus? Go ahead. I don't have 30 seconds, so here you go. Uh, 
I see some of you maybe not talking because you haven't, you haven't done this yet, and I'd love to talk to you about it after we're done this morning, about what this whole blessed death, this whole sacrifice of self and, and receiving life through Christ uh, is about. But, but here, here's definitely, in my life, the things that had to go, like personally, we, we have to die personally to our opinions, right? Like, like I don't get to be the say-so on what should be the say-so in life. It, it's God who, who has the say-so, right? For our preferences... Would anybody here prefer to have more money? Anybody? Some of you are like, no, I'm, I'm flush, Mark, I'm good. But the rest of us? The, the rest of us would love to have more money because more money in our minds, in the world's economy, means more security, more opportunity, you know, more money. But hey, uh, unless the numbers come in, you know, Powerball hits, uh, you're probably going to have to do with what you got, Right? And so you can sit there and lament over the fact that you don't have more money or that you don't have more, uh, uh, you know, joy in relationships or you don't have more of this or more of that. But guess what? In the Christ life, you learn this thing called contentment and the joy of, of living with what he has allowed in your life, seeing things in a, in a positive light rather than in a negative, seeing them as a blessing and not a curse. Are you with me? We don't get our preferences when it comes to dying itself. We don't get our will about that one. That's a tough one for me because I'd like to do what I'd like to do. Talk to my kids about that these days. They're all in college or out of college and they're trying to figure out what's next and I just constantly say to them, pray, ask God what his will for your life is. He's got it all figured out how you're going to eat. You're not eating in my house your whole life, but he's got it figured out how you're going to eat <laughs> and just try to meet him in it. Try to find his will and follow it. It's all Eleanor and I did. It, it was not, and I love you guys immensely. I really do. I love our church. But it was not my will to be a pastor in Brandon, Florida. It was not my plan. But I'm grateful that we're here. And that, that surrender of opinions and preferences and will, it's, it's this whole dying to self thing so that we can live in Christ. Relationally, um, we have to die to others' approval. We can't care what people think more than what Jesus thinks. We have to die to others' censure. We, we can't stop saying and believing what we believe just because people don't like it, and we are living in a world where that is more and more the case. Are you with me? Don't ever back down for what you believe. If it's going to cost you, if you're going to be persecuted, remember Jesus said early on in his ministry, blessed are those who are persecuted, but stand up for me. I'm not telling you to be the bullhorn guy on Facebook and be a jerk for Jesus, but I am telling you, whenever it comes to choosing the world or Jesus, Christ followers die to acceptance and fitting in because Jesus matters more. It also means that I have to die to my, uh, uh, my sense of entitlement and approving of others. Uh, many of us would love to be the fourth member of the Trinity and say, evil, sinful, wrong, I'm better, you know, and that's what we love to do. We love to look at the speck without taking care of the plank. And, and when we die to self, we die to that right of being judgmental. And we let the Holy Spirit do his job in that regard. We're going to sing a song and close, but as we continue to consider throughout this series what it means to die to live, uh, here's my prayer for us, that more of us will choose to do so. That if maybe uh, you would have tapped out in certain circumstances that await you in the future, uh, you'll be uh, more certain of this Jesus uh, that we proclaim, that you'll trust him in ways that you never thought you could and that you'd wait for him. And here, here's why I hope you do it. I hope you do it because Jesus, as he's leaving his disciples, tells them to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them and all that stuff. And then he says this promise. He says, and lo, I am with you until the end of the age. What he means is I'm, I'm with you until I come back, but I'm with you until you're done. Until you breathe your last, guess what? I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave you or forsake you, Jesus says. And in and, and the psalmist, when David was writing, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, the, of death, God says, I am with you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. I don't know what your circumstances are. Maybe you came in here, you're fine. But maybe you came in here and it's not fine. And it hasn't been fine for a long time. And you're wondering if the Jesus thing really works. I'm here to tell you, he is real, he is right, and he is not going to run. 
He'll walk with you through whatever you face. He's there right now. He may not be rescuing you in the way that you want to be rescued, but he is your ever-present comfort and strength. Paul knew this, and he wrote these things to his friends in the Corinthian church. Can you stand with me as we read them before we sing? If you didn't get anything else what I said today, I pray you walk out of here floating just a little bit in the knowledge that your God is able, that he is ever-present. He is a constant source of strength in your life. This is what Paul said. He said that we have these, this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about us. We're these, these dirt vessels. We were made from the dirt like Adam, and, and, and there's nothing really in us that's of any value, but we are the holders of Christ, this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If there's any power in our life, it's because God gives it to us. We are afflicted in every way, Paul says, and he was. But he says this, but we are, we're never crushed. We're perplexed, we don't know what's going on, but we're not driven to despair. He says we're persecuted, but we're never forsaken. He says we're struck down, but we are never destroyed. He says we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Paul gets it. It's about us dying to self and us surrendering to him and his strength. We carry that in us all the time so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For who we, uh, we who live, verse 12, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, Paul says so that life can be in work in you. May we remember that. This week as we go, we remember that our God is faithful, that he will never fail, and that we can trust him in every circumstance. Will you pray with me? God, we stand before you now, and we're just gonna walk through this week, uh, week to week with you. Thanks for the celebration of Palm Sunday. Uh, lead us, Lord, into, into celebrating you more with our lives. But as we consider the valleys, the tough stuff, may we be reminded, God, that you are able, that you are with us, that you love us, that you'll never leave us. Thanks, God, for being faithful and lead us to a life of joy and expectation in that faithfulness. Draw us, God, out of ourselves. Help us to sacrifice and to die constantly uh, to that desire to worship and serve ourselves and help us lean hard into you, into your understanding so that you can make our path straight. Let us rejoice in you now and celebrate your gift to us, God. Thank you for being faithful. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.